If the Lion of Judah ascended, proclaiming his desire for us to be in unity, will he not descend one day expecting unity between believers? And what if we met him with nothing but excuses? Brothers and sisters, there are certainly things that we should be in disunity with things of this world. But there are also many things that call us into unity with fellow brothers and sisters who believe who are in one mind over the Messiah. And I want to submit to you that my heart is grieved and I know or my father's heart is grieved because of what is happening within his body how we are tearing each other apart, how there is envy and jealousies, how there is betrayals, how we hurt one another. We do not forgive. We do not bring restoration between us as he expects. We do not follow biblical protocols and we even consider things as deal breakers of unity when they ought not to be. In this teaching, we have to talk about what is it that should separate us from the world? But what is it also that should unify us? So we find ourselves as we are united with him, united with one another. My prayer is for us all to be united with Christ and that minor theological differences no longer separate or hinder us from one another. God has called us to learn and grow from one another, not grow away from one another, as many of us have been doing. I have many faults myself. I'll be the first to admit that. And I know that my Messiah has placed his Holy Spirit, a a part of him in fellow brothers and sisters so that they can help me be better so they can help me grow. I want to submit to you that what we see is that as believers become more and more passionate about their theology and their beliefs, which is a wonderful, good thing, but sometimes The more passionate we get, the more hostile we get, the more impatient we get with others who do not see things the way we see things, the more divisive we become over what we're passionate about. I want to submit to you that when all things minor become all things major to us, everything becomes a deal breaker and we find ourselves in a place we can't be in fellowship with anyone except those who think just the way we do. You know what my issue is, is I've looked upon the earth and I can't find anyone who sees everything the exact same way I do, even with my wife, with whom I am in great unity with. There are certain things that we talk about and we can sometimes debate. We can we can share our perspective. We can share our mind and and there's freedom and there is a love and and and, and I can say what I think and she may say, say what she thinks. But there's an understanding that our unity cannot be hindered by our freedom of having a perspective, a and an interpretation. 
And if one of us may misunderstand something and may have a wrong interpretation, there is so much grace from the other side as we ought to have for one another. I want to submit to you that in the Bible, we see also Abraham and Lot. We we see this example of how their herdsmen had infighting. And because of this, Abraham, you know, they, he calls Lot and he's like, hey, Lot, your your herdsmen, my herdsmen, they're not getting together. Something is wrong here and it should not be this way. That's the key. He recognizes it should not be this way. Abraham didn't settle for infighting between their families. The moment we settle with unbiblical disunity, allowing things to separate us that ought not to separate us, then what we've allowed is the enemy to come into our camp to bring a sword between believers. And so what Abraham does as his solution, and he says, Lord, to prevent our families from fighting, you pick a side, you you pick this land, you pick that land, go anywhere you want. Let's Let's go our own ways, remaining in love. Now, what does that mean? You know, it's a very similar thing that would happen between Peter and Paul, both men of God, both loving the father, both called by God as Lot and Abraham were. But yet having slightly different callings, Peter being called to the Jewish people, Paul being called to the Gentiles. And they come to an understanding and an agreement in their love for one another that I'm going to go this way and you're going to go that way. This separation does not mean we are separate. They remained together, but they identified that they even though they were on the same team, they had different giftings, different people they were called to different things in their individual callings. But that was not worth separating in disunity over. See, this is what we do sometimes is we say we, we see a different gifting and we don't understand the gifting and we we dis, we have disunity and separation over that. Or we see a different office, a different calling, a different people group, a different culture that they're called to or a different manner. And they talk them different, different differences. And we separate unbiblically over that instead of allowing them room, allowing them their land as they allow us our land, as God has given each his portion. Come on, you have a portion. I have a portion. And that's beautiful. We can be a blessing to one another. But sometimes what we fight over are the very things that God made us different in the very things that we should be celebrating because we can celebrate our differences. We can celebrate our different giftings because we're part of a body. We edify one another. We shouldn't let that separate us. We should celebrate it now. This is the solution as Abraham had his solution. A solution I want to submit to you is with your calling, with your gifting, mind your own business. In other words, don't spend your days as a shepherd simply looking at other shepherds, criticizing them, taking your eyes off your own sheep because you're too busy criticizing other shepherds and the way that they shepherd. 
and then your sheep are left without a shepherd. That's why Yeshua said in Matthew 9:36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion because he saw them. They were harassed. They were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Because their shepherds were always in competition with one another. Many of the Pharisees in the first century were were building their own kingdoms. They were looking at each other. They were infighting with one another. They had pride, their jealousies, and all the stuff that comes with building your own kingdom. So, look at the calling, the gifting that God has given you, and excel in your area of influence with the sheep, the disciples that he has given you the people that he has given you to feed. Look after them and keep the wolves out. Don't mistake your brothers and sisters for wolves. Oh, man, come on. How often does this happen? See, we see in Matthew 7, 16, Jesus says you will recognize them by their fruit or grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. You will know the tree by the fruit. If someone is bearing good fruit, you may not agree on everything, but you can identify whether they're a good tree or an evil tree, whether they are a wolf or not. Luke 9:50. Yeshua says to them, do not stop him for the one who is not against you is for you. When the disciples were wondering at this guy who's who's casting out devils, he's not with us. Jesus, Yeshua says, don't stop him. How often when someone's not in our clique, in our clan, in our church, in our group, in our denomination, immediately because he does some things differently, he prays differently, he he does he, his theology is a little different in this or that way. Suddenly we want to stop him. We want to take it upon ourselves to be the one to go after him. Now, on certain circumstances, when there's a wolf, we're going to talk about that. But merely having different ways of doing ministry is not enough. And then lastly, rejoice with your brothers, rejoice with others who God has given other giftings. Now, I want to submit to you, brothers and sisters, that this this teaching, what we're doing here tonight, this is a call to the body, but also a call to leaders, pastors, evangelists, spiritual leaders of all sorts. Listen to me. The father desires leaders to come together and be in unity so that they can be an example to the rest of the flock. We have in some ways failed. We have not met with one another. We have not shaken the hands of fellow spiritual servants. We have because of that, not come to know one another. And the only way, although we know of one another is assumptions is what we've heard from second and third and fourth hand reports. And then we don't ever, ever verify those reports. And many of you guys, you don't get along. But if you would just actually get to know one another and speak to one another, the walls that you have would come down so quickly. But you've allowed Satan to come between you. And you've allowed no communication. I'm not even talking about miscommunication. That's an issue, too. But no communication has happened. And you don't understand one another because you don't even know one another. You don't even you just believe false rumors and reports. 
And this grieves my master's heart. I want to submit to Amos 3.3. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Many of us need to meet. And next year, in the year 2024, if the Father permits me this, I would like to, and however I can, be a bridge between ministers so that we can meet so that we can understand, so we can talk, so we can, and even so that we can disagree, because disagreement is not only bad, disagreement can be a blessing, disagreement can be good for us. See, we have this idea that just because we disagree, this this world, which is such a, a strange culture today, when we don't agree on everything, then we suddenly feel the need to hate. Oh, man, this is not the way, the way of our master. We see to have a theological disagreement isn't a bad thing because it means that you can it means that you have thought about things. It means that you have considered the ways of God. Isn't that wonderful that your brother, your sister, who who you might disagree with, they disagree with you because they have a different perspective, because they have actually went to think about things. Wow, that's something worth praising. And now you've thought about things and and yes, maybe you don't see eye to eye, but if you're humble in your presentation, if you are bold in your faith and your beliefs even, but yet remaining always open to humble correction, open to the fact that you may be wrong. If that is truly something that you retain in your heart, then unity becomes so much easier. But it's easy to go. Let's just be honest. It's easy to say, well, I'm open to being wrong. It's another to actually live that way and and treating your brother and sister that way. <laughs> so uh, let's just define some things here before we get into it, some in, into things more. What is biblical unity? All right. Unity doesn't mean we agree on everything with one another. In fact, if you've lived for more than five minutes, you have met someone who you disagree with something about, and, and that's okay. But 1 Peter 3 8 says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. See, this is what unity is. Unity is to to have sympathy. It is to have a love. It is to have a tender heart. It is to be humble. It is to be united in certain fundamentals. And we'll, we're going to talk about some of those soon. But I want to submit that unity is not just about information. It's not about just what you know and what they know and, and what they know, may not know, what you do know, what you don't know, what they know. It's not about just knowledge. It's not just about even beliefs. It's about character. Without character, unity is not possible. You guys can be united in all the right ways, as most united as you can be. But if your characters are not humble and tender hearted and full of brotherly love, your unity will never last. What's biblical disunity? It is an act of separation. Disunity isn't a disagreement with someone. It is when you go biblically to separate by an act from another group, another person, and you better have a good reason for it. 
We see in Titus 3.10, As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Right? So there is this provision that the scriptures make that there is an act of separation under certain circumstances. Now, let's also listen before we talk about some of those circumstances about what our Messiah himself, the red letters, what he said about unity. Now, I want you to listen carefully because we're going to read his words now, and they're very important because he's going to express his desire in a prayer that he had with his father. How important could this be? And he says this. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, that that the world may believe that you have sent me. Okay, hold on. He's saying something crazy here. He's saying that that just as he and his father is one, that is how me and you, if we're believers and brothers and sisters, that's how we should be one. What is the you? That is just crazy. What is the unity that Yeshua has with his father? It is absolute loving unity in step. He does nothing that he doesn't see his father doing. That's the kind of unity he describes him to have. So my unity with you. That's what he calls me to have. And he says it is needed so that the world may believe that Yeshua was the Messiah, that he was sent of the Father. My unity with you is going to determine whether the world believes in Jesus, in Yeshua. Think about how important. Is there anything more important than whether the world believes in the Messiah? Yes or no? No, there's nothing more important than that. This is the most important thing in the world. And he says this can only happen if there is unity in the body. So therefore, is what is more important than unity in the body? Do you understand the priority that he is setting upon this? Do you see how we have forsaken this? We have put more priority on how many things than on unity. But it should not be this way. Let's read further. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. What is the glory? The Holy Spirit was given to Yeshua like a dove. And now he says, I have given it to them because that's what he did by his ascension, that they may be one even as we are one because of the Holy Spirit. He says it is possible for us to be one as he and his father's one. Then come and tell me it's not possible. Then come and tell me we'll we'll have unity one day when when Jesus comes back. Jesus says because of the Holy Spirit, the glory that was given to us, We will have unity now. If you don't believe that, then you don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, by the power of the Spirit, you can have unity. And if you say no, then get over yourself because the Bible says it's possible. The problem is, is you've made it impossible because of your flesh and because you die on hills that Christ didn't die on. Let's read on. He then goes on and he says this in verse 23. 
I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. See the common unity that we have, the community, common unity that we have is the Messiah. He is the reason that we should be in unity. You can you can have theological minor disagreements of all kinds. You can debate. You can have brotherly discussions. Iron sharpens iron, but there is a common thing that ties us all together. Whether you're a Baptist, a Pentecostal, charismatic, a Seventh Adventist, if you believe in the Messiah, there is a common unity between denominations. And that should be something that causes us to be drawn near to one another and not destroy one another, as many of us have set out to do throughout the thousands of years of history, the Crusades, the wars, the rumors of wars that have been done in the name of Christ over things that are I'm not saying they are not important. And I'm not, by the way, saying that there aren't many important things that are worth being very serious about. But there is a difference between something that is important and something worth dividing over. And we're going to talk about some of those differences in this teaching. I know you're waiting for that. We're going to talk about that. But we have to set some groundwork as to how important this unity actually is. Some state that we can't have unity like that in the first century because we don't have the 12 apostles, someone who can set everyone straight and be like, this is the truth. This is how things stand. Some state it's when Yeshua comes back. See, we have excuses. We can't have unity because it's not like it was in the past. We can't have unity because it's not like it will be in the future. But Christ said, because you have presently the Holy Spirit, you can have unity. But yet within those who call themselves believers, Christianity, we see thousands of denominations, sects and factions. I want to ask you, what would it be like if many of those denominations who are actually pretty close and have a lot in common and are in unity over the most important integral things and foundations of our faith, many of them are. What if they came together in love, brotherly, tender love with one another, having conversations, having open doors with one another, talking about what they agree on, talking about what they don't agree on, but all in love? What could happen? What incredible things in this world could happen? How incredible and in what incredible ways could the world encounter the Messiah because of that thing that can happen in our communities? But I want to remind you of the first denominations. We read that in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10. We see Paul writing, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, that you may be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it's been reported to me by close people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. 
What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God, he says, that I baptize none of you except Crispus and Gaius. He says so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. They struggled here with the same thing many of us do. Many of you are saying, I'm of Calvin. I'm of Alan White. I'm of this or that denomination. But Paul says, did Alan White die for you? Did Calvin get on the cross for you? Who do you worship? Who is your Messiah? And then ultimately, he comes and he says this. He says, I am so glad that I did not baptize you. Because people were using this as a way of saying that I'm of this denomination, I'm of that. I was baptized into the, the Catholic Church, the Baptist Church. I was baptized. Who cares? Did, is Christ not the one whom you worship? Since when has it been that we are a Baptist, a Seventh-day Adventist, a Catholic, a, a charismatic, a Pentecostal, a help me out here, Lutheran? Why have we become those and we have put off what it means to be a disciple of Christ, be of Christ, be his disciple? Do not be of a denomination. You can call yourself and define your faith by by saying, I, I align by this. I don't have a problem with that. Do as you wish, but do not divide. Do not use these as dividers between men because denominations are inventions of men. When men have come and said they're passionate about a theology, they have made a denomination around that theology. But what if I told you that God strategically reveals different revelations to different people and different groups to test you? What if he would reveal something to you, something miraculous, something incredible about his nature, about his word? And then he doesn't reveal that about to to someone else and vice versa as well. He reveals something to someone else, another group, another denomination that he doesn't reveal to you, your group, your denomination to test you because it necessitates the need for you to get that revelation. You must become humble. You must learn from others who you may have some other disagreements with on some other things, on lesser issues, on on issues that are not salvific. I'm not talking about foundational issues here. I'm not talking about about the about the the essence of our faith here, about the gospel, about who Christ is. I'm not talking about disagreements on that. I'm talking about little minor theological disagreements. Uh, We see in the book of Ephesians, chapter four, verse 11, we read the following. He says to us the reason why he gave the different offices and giftings. And he says he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And then he says in verse 13, this until we attain the unity of the faith. He is saying that the purpose of these things, the offices, 
are so that we can be humbled, grown into the unity of the faith. You will not receive unity in the faith when you lock yourself in your denominational box and thinking and you prejudge everyone else according to how your denomination judges them, which we do that really well, don't we? We say, well, that those people, that people and most of the things are big assumptions. We've never met a person of that denomination. We've never spoken to them. We've never actually set out to understand them because we've only gone on what we've heard. And then we don't attain the unity of the faith in those who we ought to be in unity with, who are in unity with us over the foundational issues because we have allowed pride to come in between us. See, we see one of the main reasons for disunity is laid out for us in Romans 12 or 16. And he says this live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. See, the moment that we consider ourselves wise in our own sight, that we are the one, the denomination, the people, the person who has been receiving the truth and nothing but the truth. And we are perfect in our theology and our thinking. We consider ourselves wise. I don't consider myself wise in my own sight, rather lacking, rather that there are many many faults in me. There are many things in me that I need your help with. There are things that the father has shown you, dear brother, dear sister, you the one watching this right now. I'm saying this with all seriousness. There are things the father has shown you that I lack, that I need, that that I need to learn and understand and, and I need to grow in. And and that means that I need your help. That means I need your iron to sharpen mine. And it's vice versa the same. The father has shown me things that you may not have discovered that in our relationship, our friendship, our, our brotherly love and sisterly love. We can become more like Christ and we can finally come into the unity of the faith, but not before that. And so this is why the world will be changed by this message that I'm giving you tonight, this message that Yeshua gave the unity because it's the only way that we will become more like him. many of us have hit a wall of maturity and we will not grow any further into his likeness until we can get what I'm speaking about here tonight, until we can put aside our pride and be willing to become one who associates with the lowly. I would like to also read to you Philippians two, verse two, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And he says this, do nothing, nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. The moment that we consider ourselves more significant, more wise than others is the moment that we cease learning and growing more into the image of Christ who even him being high above all else and everyone else who is the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, he made himself humble. But our selfish ambitions will divide us and it's time for us to cast those off. It's time for us to stop dishonoring the gifting, the offices, the callings of others, but rather it's time to start celebrating them. 
Now we're going to talk about some things not worthy of biblical disunity and some things that are worthy of biblical disunity. And what I'm going to talk about more specifics, they're not going to be an exhaustive list. There are millions of things that can be in, we can be in unity or disunity over with one another. But I'm going to give you a few ideas as a guide so you can get an idea to judge on your things for yourself. First, things not worthy of our disunity. Now, as we determine this, I want you to think about three ideas for me. Number one, ask yourself, is this disagreement that I have with my brother or my sister, if it's theological, will at the end of all of this, no matter who's right or who's wrong, will we still both likely be saved? That it is not going to impact our salvation. Because if one day, regardless of the outcome of who's right and who's wrong in this discussion, if one day both of you are going to stand before the father face to face and you are going to be united with him, is it worth being separated on earth over something that you will be united with in heaven? If you are going to be before the father with your brother or your sister and he's before you and he says to you, you separated over this issue, you went your own ways completely alienating from one another, even condemning one another. But yet here you both stand before me and I save both of you. How dare you be in disunity over this? See, if it's an issue that's not salvific, if it's an issue that that does not cast one or the other into the kingdom of darkness, then it's not an issue that we should be in disunity with someone else over. The other thing that we should take into consideration is as we work these things out, is my brother or my sister a temple of the Holy Spirit? Because here's the thing is that if we think about the temple of God, we re we have reverence. We're like, wow, the temple of God, that's where the, the spirit of God, that's like beyond the veil. Like you don't just go there, but once a year, the high priest could go beyond the veil. Like this was such a holy place, right? The holy of holies, as it was called. But yet if the Holy Spirit has come to dwell in the temples of men into your brother and sister's temple, and they now become a holy of holies walking, then your treatment of them in these matters is so important for us to not desecrate the temple of God by speaking evil of one another or by even throwing one another aside into separations of disunity when they are the temple just as much as we are. If they have been saved and have they have been accepted into the kingdom of God, and if they are being used by God, and if their fruit is good of the Lord, then we ought to be in unity with them. Then we can also ask ourselves this is in this. If this is a theological disagreement in this area of disagreement, has there ever been a time where you were wrong in theology and how much grace did you need? How much grace did the father have for you? Did the father throw you aside into an area of disunity to have disunity with you or did he have grace with you? 
There are some things that are profitable to divide over, but there are other things that are not profitable to divide over in God's kingdom. Some people have misunderstandings of theology and other people have rebellions against God. And if someone has simply misunderstanding God's word, we can have more grace on them because they're growing and God has had grace on us as we were growing. But that's different from someone who is rebelling against God and his word and his kingdom, someone who is setting out to be a wolf, someone who is a false prophet. There is a difference and we must make that distinction in our in our discernment so that we can treat each other in the grace that we should be treating one another. Let's get into some specifics. Some things that are not worthy of disunity. Number one, whether you like someone, their personality, the way they talk, their mannerism, their skin color, none of that is any justification for you to be in disunity with them. Sorry. Whether you think someone is prideful or whether that you think they have bad intentions, it's not a qualifier to have disunity with them because your assumptions about someone is not something that you have a right, gives you a right to have disunity with them over. And when you consider someone prideful or when you consider someone's intentions, you are assuming things about that person. It would be good to speak to them about what you may think so that you can understand them better. Number three, the success or failure of someone else is not something that qualifies your disunity. If someone is successful and you grow jealous, be careful for the enemy desires to have disunity between you and your brother because of your jealousy. When someone is not successful, but have made a failure, they have made a mistake and you consider yourself someone who is and you boast in your success. Be careful that that hierarchy that you create becomes a means of separation and a reason for disunity. Your feelings is not a qualifier for disunity. If someone has hurt your feelings, go to them and communicate that to them and work things out. You can't say my feelings were hurt. I'm now in disunity with that person. Number five, suspicious feelings. You can't say, well, I feel that this person is not of the Holy Spirit. I feel that they are a Freemason. I feel like they have evil intentions. I feel like they serve the enemy's kingdom. And, and maybe you even gather a bunch of other friends together. And, and do you feel like they are, are evil? Do you feel like they're Freemasons? Do you feel like that is not a qualifier for disunity? You, that is not how witnesses work. How you feel even by the Holy Spirit is not how truth is established. Truth is established not by rumors. Truth is established by going and speaking to someone and by actual hard evidence that would stand up in any courtroom, not what you feel. So your suspicious feelings is not a qualifier for your disunity. Name pronunciations, number six, is not a qualifier for disunity. Calendars, number seven, not a qualifier for disunity. Number eight, other unworthy disputes of the law. Titus 3.9 says, avoid foolish 
controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law. For they are unprofitable and worthless. There are quarrels, things about the law that are not profitable being in this unity over. Now, this is how we should make a distinction. There are good faith disagreements or misunderstandings about the law that we can have with one another. In other words, you can have non salvific, non foundational disagreements. Let's make an example here. Many people on the fourth commandment have many disagreements, many debates on the Sabbath day. Many people believe the Sabbath are for today. Many people believe the Sabbath doesn't look the same way, that it isn't a day that should be kept anymore. And many are in disunity over this issue, for example. So one so when you think about this disagreement, it's really oftentimes a disagreement on how this law should be kept today, whether it's a day that should be kept or whether it's I keep this in resting in the salvation of the Messiah or this. It's not Saturday. My Sabbath day is Sunday. There are many disagreements on how this law is then kept, but then there's other people who disagree about the law in more serious manners because it doesn't come from a misunderstanding of the law or a or an ignorance of the law or a a bad teaching of the law. It comes from a rebellion against the law. And that's a very different situation. See, when someone such as what we are seeing in the LGBTQ YZ community today, Many of that is actually a rebellion against God's law, not a misunderstanding. They understand what God's law is saying, but they simply rebel against what it's saying. And so that rebellion is then a rejection of God's word and his authority. And that becomes something more serious. And so we should consider where is this disunity really like if someone has a disagreement over the word where does it come from and what or what is their heart are they misunderstanding something truly because that's something we can talk with we can have grace with them on on their growth on how they're learning new things as we needed grace think about how other brothers and sisters had grace on you in your past as you were growing as you were learning as you were finding out new things about god and his word and that grace that others extended to you was the way that you grew, the way you understood, the way you accepted what you now hold dear and true today. So to just throw someone aside because they don't agree with you on what day the Sabbath is or what it, how it should be kept, for example, that's not a good way of, of bringing people into unity with God's word and his truth. There are many things that should bring us together, like the Messiah who saved us all. The law is not our savior. The Messiah is. And that means that he, as he is saving us, is saving us together. So we should therefore grow together in our understanding of the law. We can also, and last but not least, number 10 of uh, things that are things not worthy of our disunity is good faith disagreements about the Holy Spirit, such as spiritual gift. Many are like speaking in tongues or or, or really many, many opinions and ideas about many of the gifts. 
The gifts have been given to bring us together, not divide us. The very purpose of the spiritual gifts and the Holy Spirit is to bring unity. So if you use the Holy Spirit as your divider, be careful because you are missing the point of why he came in the first place. Now, let's talk about some things actually worthy of this unity. Again, not an exhaustive list. These are some that will give you an idea of where this can go. Things that are worthy of dividing over biblically, because there's a biblical precedent for dividing. We see in 1 Corinthians 11, 19, there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So this is some of those situations. Number one, the denial of the Messiah. If someone denies the Messiah, that's immediate disunity right there. If we deny him as worthy of being worshipped, that's a big problem as well, because the scripture says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess he's Lord. If it is important for us to also recognize his kingship, his lordship, his kingdom, the sacrifice that he has given us and made for us and the gospel of being saved by faith. Those are non-negotiables. Number two, disagreements on what truth fundamentally is. We must agree on the scriptures that the Bible is the truth, that it is God's word. If we cannot agree on what truth is, how can we agree on anything else? How can we even have a conversation to grow together into greater unity if we cannot even agree on what is authoritatively true? So that's why the scriptures is what we should agree on as fundamentally true. Number three, a issue worthy of disunity, blasphemy of the father, blasphemy of the son, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And number four, unrepentant sin. If someone is unrepentant in any of the above, because remember, of course, someone can always turn. They can always turn their heart, their mind back to God and his word. And then we should welcome them back to his kingdom, back with open arms into fellowship. But also if someone has sinned against us, or the fellowship, if they are doing destructive things that can bring harm upon others, then it is important to follow biblical protocol in approaching them. And if they fail to come back, then it's important to have this unity with that person as well so that the flock can be protected. Now, let's talk about that protocol as well as resolving disputes between believers. Now, this is going to be very important because many of you who may be listening has unresolved disputes or maybe even disunities that ought not to be disunities because you have considered things worth being in disunity over that have not been. And it's important to follow biblical protocols in resolving things. I want to read to you Colossians 3 verse 13, whereas we read the following. 
bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. But also, he says, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I want to read to you one more to Corinthians 13, verse 11. And he says, finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace with one another and the God of love and peace will be with you. But what if there is a dispute? What if there is someone who sinned against us? Or what if there is a teacher who's teaching things who, who we don't agree with? We're going to address some of this now, according to the biblical example. We see in Matthew 18, verse 15, how Yeshua comes, Jesus himself in the red letters, and he explains a protocol that is so important, so infrequently followed but something he's calling us back to. And he says this. Number one, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you you've gained your brother. Ninety percent of disputes between believers would end after this first step. 90% would would end here because you go to them. You have the honor, respect, brotherly love, the tender, the mercy, the grace to go to them alone and to and that that expression of love that you like if someone comes to me, you know, it's like, wow, you you came to me. You didn't go and just blast this to everyone else on Facebook or 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 out there in the church or wow, you you cared for me. You love me so much that you came to me alone, not trying to destroy my character out there. See, if the first step was that you went to destroy someone's character, how likely is that person going to be to listen to you, what you have to say? So even if you have something good to say, they're not going to listen to you because you've already proved that you're not worth listening to because you've proved your fruit is rotten. I'm sorry, it's just the truth because you haven't followed the Bible. You haven't followed the Messiah's example. You followed the devil because the devil is going to lead you to not follow the Messiah's example. The devil's going to say they hurt your feelings. They sinned against you. Go and tell everyone. Go and tell Facebook, go and make statuses, go and send a message to everyone, go and tell everyone but that person or everyone and that person. No, Yeshua said you go to that person between you and him alone. That's what he said. Don't disregard his words or you become the guilty party. Now, he says though this. If you've done that and they don't listen, take one or two others now with you that every charge may establish by the evidence of two to three witnesses. So now immediately there is an involvement of one or two other people, one or two, not everyone else. And these one or two people are going to be mature people, preferably spiritual leadership, people that are that that love that person, that know that person, that 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 person can be open to and that you all can come together in love to try and resolve this, not a pointing of the finger at some, but in love, trying to communicate 
and resolve what's going on and that there may be witnesses now. See, you can't go to step number three, which we're about to read here, if we haven't established the charge by witnesses. You can't go to step number three if you haven't done number two. You can't go to step number two if you've not done number one. You need to establish these two witnesses first, that this person does not want to listen, that they do not want to heed to wise biblical counsel, but that they are now rebelling against God's word. If that is happening, and this is the seriousness of the matter, that this is a, a an issue that is worth dividing over, such as the ones we just read earlier and talked about earlier, then we can go now to step three. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him to be to you as a gentile and a tax collector. So the church, that is a local assembly that we go to and we now involve them and we explain what's going on so that they as a whole may plead in their love, in their in their, their absolute love for this brother or sister come back to the gospel, come back to Christ, come, don't walk away from him. Repent of your sexual immoralities, repent of your of your murderous acts of gossip, whatever it is, repent of this or that. This this is the love that we approach to them with to save their souls, not a just a condemnation or something of that sort. And then he says, if they don't listen to the church, let him as a gentle and tax collector because this is an act of love so that as they are as you now have separation biblical disunity with them now hopefully this causes them to feel wow i don't want to be in that disunity i don't want to lose my brothers and sisters i want to go back to them but see that means that the way that this was all conducted all of these steps up to this point had to be conducted in a way that is full of love and compassion and mercy, yet being bold, standing on God's truth. Now, uh, the other thing that I want to mention about this is <laughs> notice how this means that you're not allowed to excommunicate. And remember, this is a, a type of excommunication in that you you're now separating from someone. You're not allowed to have the separation of a to a believing brother or sister without actually involving the church authority. Notice that you cannot do this if you have not involved the church authority. You cannot decide to do this alone. You can't decide, oh, my brother sinned against me. I'm going to let him be a Gentile and a tax collector to me. You're not biblically allowed to do that. You, you will stand condemned before your father in heaven one day if you sin, if your brother sins against you, but you jumped to this last step and you never followed the biblical example that Yeshua gave you. So this is a very serious matter that requires the involvement of two to three witnesses and then ultimately a church authority structure. And this is why it's important to belong to a body of believers, because dispute resolution is almost impossible without the body of believers that we are all called to be a part of. You're not called to be out there living alone in isolation. Now, I understand that there are some of you living in countries where there's literally no other believers and there's mercy and grace for that. But for the rest of us, 
especially in America where there's a church on every corner, we need to ensure that we have no excuse, that we have a body of believers that we are a part of if we want to be able to have biblical dispute resolution because it's impossible without that. Remember what he said, and this is to just to just prove this to you. Matthew 18, 18, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loosen on earth will be loosed in heaven. If you agree on anything, it will be done by my Father in heaven. This is speaking to the about the keys of the kingdom that was given to Peter, the leader of the first century church, how he was given authority to bind on, on earth as it is in heaven and so on. So he, he this is why Messiah is speaking of this. He is saying that I'm putting authority in the church structure, that I am putting authority in spiritual leaderships. I'm putting authority as there's always been authority structures. I'm putting up authority structure in the body of believers. And if there is disputes, you need to follow that authority structure so that there is uh, freedom and so that there isn't someone that means that no random person believer can just go and decide this is a false teacher that's a false teacher this is a bad believer that's not a believer this one i should be in this union that one i should be in this union with no this is a joint discussion and agreement that involves mature spiritual people not just anyone who's got a facebook page not just anyone who's decide but there is actually communion with other believers in such serious decisions as to be in this unity with someone else. Now, let's move on to public teachers. When there is someone who teaches publicly God's word, a teacher, we see that God has spoken and said that there is great honor in such a rule, that if there is a pastor, there is great honor we should respect, we should honor, we should love our pastors, our teachers, our, our prophets, spiritual leaderships of whatever sort, because the work of ministry is an, a role of honor that they have been called to, and that is something that we should not take lightly, right? It is something we should love them for what God has entrusted to them. So this, I'm saying this because when it comes to something that is taught that we may not agree with, we should approach them in honor and respect for how what God has called them to. Now, this means that when there is something that we don't agree with, we follow biblical examples. And I want to pull up one for you. Acts chapter 18, verse 26, perhaps the most clear example of what it looks like when there is a disagreement with a public teacher. Now, we read this. And he, Apollos, began to speak boldly in the synagogue. So this is a very public space that he's teaching in. He's speaking very boldly and he's, he's loud. He's he's passionate. He's this is the way it is. That's the way he's speaking. Right, awesome. He's preaching well, right? And but then it says Priscilla and Aquila heard him, and they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Acacia, the brothers encouraged him. They were they encouraged him. And they wrote to even the disciples over there on that side to welcome him. Look at this love. 
And then when he arrived, he greatly helped those who, who through grace had believed. Because, see, he powerfully refuted Jews in public. He did awesome things. So this is a teacher, right, who's, who's, he's, he's, a, he's a respected teacher. Praise God. God has given him a calling. But then Priscilla and Aquila heard him, and, and there was something that he said that wasn't accurate. Something he told that wasn't accurate because he misunderstood something. There was, there was something that he didn't know. And what did they do? Now, I want you to notice something here for me. I want to open up the Greek for a moment because you don't see this in the English. It says when it says here, they took him aside. The Greek word here actually is proslambano. Okay, it's a it's a Greek word that means the following to take to oneself, to use that is like food to lead someone aside, to admit someone to friendship or hospitality, to receive him unto you. This word to take him when they took him aside is actually a big word. It means they were hospitable. They were they had they same. They may have even invited him into their home, given him food, shown him love. And, and, you know, all of this, like this is there was this was not a, a hostile. This was hospitable. But how often when someone teaches something inaccurately, we come with hostility. And, you know, the most clear way of hostility is when you don't follow biblical protocol with going to them, because remember, they took him aside. They followed even Matthew 18, because remember, Yeshua said that and they followed it even here. Many people say, well, with public teachers, we refute them publicly. Well, there is a place for public refutation of teaching that is not good. That is false. Absolutely. But the first step is they took him aside. Why? Because look at the fruit even of this encounter. They took him aside and then because they took him aside, he listened. His eyes were open, his his ears were open, his heart was opened and he inclined to hear and listen and he heard them and he was like, wow, guys, thank you for sharing this. I'm going to take this with me and teach it from now on. Thank you. And I might even go publicly and say, hey, I thought this and, and actually, you know, I was wrong in this way. Thank you so much, Priscilla and Aquila. You guys, you helped me out. But that would never be possible if your approaching of this teacher was hostile and unbiblical. Any good teacher will have be very open to hear whether you have any quarrels with what they are saying. And here's the other thing that you may not recognize is you may be in disunity with another believer and you've never actually taken the time to understand their beliefs. You've made assumptions about them. See, the, re the reality is, is that when we look at public teachings, when we listen to public teachings, it's easy to misunderstand what someone is teaching because of contexts, time constraints, things that you may not know and contexts that they may know that you don't, things that you may have misheard, maybe a language barrier, many maybe a cultural barrier there are many things that can come into play when you're trying to understand what someone is teaching that can cause you to misunderstand what they even meant 
So this is not even now a thing of, well, they're teaching wrong. No, you're misunderstanding what they actually taught. And many others in the room understood what they taught accurately, but you don't understand what they said because you are not taking the time to understand. And the only way you would is if you went to them and said, hey, brother, hey, sister, I don't understand this. Did you mean this? What did you actually mean? And then having a dialogue, a conversation, a back and forth to understand what they are saying. And if we don't do this, we destroy our witness. We destroy our witness to unbelievers. We destroy the witness of our Messiah. We we bring in this unity. We are a divider and we drag the names of those whom the Messiah has raised as spiritual teachers, leaders through the mud. And we then come against the kingdom of God unknowingly when we do so unbiblically. God has laid out all of these good uh, protocols for us to follow and examples for us to follow. Let us start following them. Now, there are certain times where there are wolves, false prophets, men of deceit, men who come to try and lead astray and lead away sheep from the good word of our master, Yeshua, and away from our king. In fact, I'll I'll say that there was a, a few years ago a certain such one who came and he was a believer, who was a teacher, but he turned and he became a false prophet, apostle, wolf. And I say that in freedom because the evidence is out there now where he started teaching against the authority of the word. He started teaching that the word of God much of the writings of Paul specifically should be thrown out and are false. So now he has there is a disunity with that person because they are they have thrown out the authority of the scriptures and that person eventually even denied the Messiah and came against the Messiah. He now has a ministry against the Messiah. I and my I came in against that I teaching. I, I made, we made a public teaching. We addressed all of the falsehoods that were published by that other ministry. And ultimately, we did it because we needed to protect the flock. There were many people being led astray down into false teachings, walking away even from the Messiah, ultimately, as he that false teacher, as he did. And so in situations like this, and, and let me just even say this, even in this situation, I initially sent him, I reached out and I made contact and said, I'm going to do this. I want to have dialogue with you before I do. I want to speak with you. I, I don't want to just go public. I want to work this out personally with you and hope to win, win him over in a hope to have a love so that he can correct himself and I don't have to. But because he refused even that, uh, because I needed to protect the flock, I had to go and I had to publicly refute his teachings, which were demonic for the protection of the flock. And so this is a wolf, but this is different. How we treat wolves are different than how we treat brothers and sisters who have a misunderstanding of scripture, who might have something inaccurate like Apollos had. Apollos was not a wolf, and therefore Priscilla and Aquila did not treat him as one. We treat brothers and sisters like we treat wolves. And that is an abomination before our master. We should have more discernment than this. 
because then we can have, be in better unity with one another, loving one another, respecting one another, and we can see the gospel go forth as we win each other over into the truth of the Messiah, ironing sharpened iron. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to conclude with this. Psalm 133, verse 1. And this is what the psalmist says, a song of ancients of David. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. See, for you to have the oil of the royal priesthood that the Messiah has called you to, the oil in the lamp that the ten virgins all needed and that you need in yours, you're going to need that oil, but you can only have that oil if you find it pleasant to dwell together in unity with brothers and sisters, that you go and pursue unity as much as possible. And yes, there are moments when this unity biblically is inevitable, but as far and as possible, we have unity and we dwell in pleasant unity with brothers and sisters. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you that God is calling you to become the peacemaker. He's calling you to be one who restores the breach between others who are now in disunity. He's calling you to be one who changes the trajectory of the body of Christ with all of the hatred and the infighting. He is calling you to be one who rises up and says, not on my watch. I will I will invoke the biblical examples, the biblical protocols of my fellowship. I will not allow gossip. I will not allow feelings. I will not allow all the other things that we allow to control us, but we will allow truth to go forth and we will love with brotherly tender love one another. Think of who you can be a peacemaker for. Yeshua said, blessed be the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. I wish for you to be called a son of God. But that means that you need to be a peacemaker. That means that you need to be a peacemaker instead of a divider. It means that you need to be one who even today goes to think, who can I strengthen my unity with? Practically, I call you go think, who can I strengthen my unity with? What what person in my fellowship, what person out there, what person who have I potentially misunderstood who I should reach out to? That is what the Messiah is calling you to. There's no choice. Go and do so. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would come, Holy Spirit, and, and bring about unity upon your body. Let this be going forth far and wide to bring conviction upon your people, to restore the breach. Yeshua, come back soon and come back to a bride who is in unity. In the name of Yeshua, amen. Please share this with your pastors. Please share this with your leaders. Please share this with your congregants. God is calling unity.